good morning. Uh, welcome to Gateway. And if you're watching at home and this is your first time with us, I'm Ed. I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. And we are ending, as Jordan said earlier, we're ending a series of messages this morning that have taken us through the whole summer. And we've looked at the last nine uh, chapters of the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And it is an utterly fascinating period of history. Uh, it's not a fun story. It is really the decline and fall of the kingdom of Judah. I want to tell you from a high level how we got there, but I also want to tell you what you're looking at this morning. So we'll get there in a second. Uh, the kingdom of Israel developed into a, a pretty serious regional power in the you know, 900s uh, BC under the kingship of David and then Solomon. And after Solomon, Sort of between his sons and others, there was a civil war, and the kingdom of Israel, which had become a regional power, divided in half. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was smaller, called Judah, but really was stronger. It held the capital city, Jerusalem. So in 722 B.C., after a series of really, really poor management, bad leadership, and uh, consistent leadership that did not seek God, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the world superpower, the kingdom of Assyria. And that is where we started our story. And unfortunately, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah repeated the same history and uh, king after king, they, they did not consistently, in leadership and as a people, they did not consistently lean into God. They were offered many opportunities to, to turn and face him, to turn and inquire of the Lord, to turn and seek him. That's why we call this uh, summer series Turning Points. And we've been convinced, we are convinced, and we've been saying it all summer long, we've been provided turning points throughout our lives. And, and we even believe that what's happening right now in our culture, in our a global pandemic, we believe that that is, at least in part, God offering us a turning point. One of, the, one of the key takeaways for me from this whole summer is that God is sovereign over nations and over our lives. And that's part of what this story tells. We started with King Hezekiah. You can see that on the wall. And I don't know if you noticed this through the summer, those of you who have been with us, but we made the good kings gold. So King Hezekiah sought the Lord. Bible says he was like his father David. And there are three chapters in uh, this section of kings, there are only nine chapters in all that cover this one king because it was such a significant time spiritually, uh, a time when it looked like things were going to turn to the north and, and they were going to seek the Lord. But alas, uh, his son and heir, Manasseh, was the worst of all the kings and ended up sacrificing his own children, uh, seeking the advice of mediums and spiritists and other gods. And then came Ammon, his son, also not a good king. We had a reform under Josiah, and it was heartening, but it didn't take. And then we saw the short reign of Jehoahaz, the even shorter reign of Jehoiakim, a little longer reign of Jehoiakim, or no, I'm sorry, the terribly short reign of Jehoiakim. He reigned for about a minute and a half. And then he was taken away to Babylon, who had now overtaken Assyria as the world power and King Nebuchadnezzar. And that brings us to the last of our kings this morning, King Zedekiah. So 
Over many years, um, I've had a number of people at Gateway uh, communicate uh, with me or in, in, instead of me on Sunday mornings, and I've just enjoyed them uh, as brothers and friends, but also I have to tell you, I've enjoyed picking apart the scripture with them. So uh, this is typically when we've done this is in the summer for a summer series like the one we've just had. And uh, I'll, we'll line up a schedule, preaching schedule through the summer. And then we will begin in the spring, in March maybe, or April, and we'll begin to meet together and talk through the scripture. And I have to tell you honestly, those are some of my favorite times of the years, just meeting with them and talking through the scripture. It is so rich. And I've thought for years, you know what? I would just love some Sunday morning to do with Gateway uh, what we do in those times together. A couple of those people who have done that with me over the years are Bill Russell and uh, Dean Salami. And so, you guys, this is an experiment this morning. We are going to do what we uh, do during those times when we are preparing for our series. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard me say, but over the years, if, if you've been a part of the communication, you've heard me say, when I go to the scriptures, I will ask three questions. I ask, first of all, what, does, what did God mean to say to the original audience? What, what was God saying to this group of people in this time? I had a seminary professor who used to say regularly to us, you know, the Holy Spirit is not going to say anything to you that he hasn't said for the last 3,000 years. So if you come up with something absolutely new, it's guaranteed to be wrong. Uh, so what did, what did this passage say? What did the original author intend for the original audience? And then the second question is, all right, what does that mean for us today? And then the third question is, what's the best way to say that? How do we, how do we uh, demonstrate that to Gateway on a Sunday morning? Well, we spend our time when we're having these discussions primarily, almost exclusively, with those first two questions. And then we divide it up, and then each of us individually will decide, all right, what's the best way to say that? So this morning, we're going to take the tail end of 2 Kings, the last chapter and a fifth and we're actually going to walk through it, and uh, this is not fully planned, so um, apologies in advance. Um, but we're going to walk through the last chapter and a fifth together. I hope you picked up on your way in. Uh, the, we, we actually printed the passage because we want you to struggle with it at the same time as, as we do. Those of you who are watching at home, you're really going to benefit from this if you have a Bible open. Second Kings is about, you know, halfway through the Old Testament. So maybe a quarter of the way through your Bible. It's a pretty big book, easy to find. We're at the end of chapter 24, and we're going to do the tail end of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25, and here's how this will work. So these are the rules of engagement. We want you engaging with us. So we will read a section. We'll pause and see what observations we have. And we're going to do this work together, and you're going to watch... In real time, uh, Dean and Bill and I uh, wrestle with this passage. So, um, the opening paragraph is really a high-level summary, and then the rest, chapter 25, kind of unpacks that summary. Reading from 2 Kings 
24, verse 18. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he, re uh, he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Yeah, let's just let's stop there. Um, first observation for me is the one we made the other night. Uh, I think it's striking that the way he summarizes this is not that they were overthrown by Syria. It's not that devastation happened. It's not um, this was the end. The way he summarizes it is that they were thrust from the Lord's presence. Yeah, I, I, this isn't terribly spiritual, but I'm uh, just 21 years old. Um, I'm thinking, man, we've got kids in our 20s. Um, to become king when so much is still in play. I, it's just a crazy thought of, I mean, I know we've had some even younger, right? Um, but that's, he's still pretty young, even at 21. You know, I don't think, I don't know if we've answered this question. Uh, is this Jeremiah the prophet? Do y'all know? The, the... Don't know that. Daughter of Jeremiah. I should have looked that up. Daughter of Jeremiah. <laughs> I, yeah, I Daughter bet it is. Jeremiah. Well, that's fascinating because if his, <laughs> if it is the daughter of Jeremiah that he's, uh, his mother's name was Model. Yeah, that's just two generations down. So, you would think Jeremiah would have uh, a pretty good lineage. You would him. think. Yeah. Didn't have any impact here. All right. Um, I'll uh, I'll take it up from there. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. That's two years of siege. By the ninth day of the fourth month, famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. That's striking to me. The army runs away. I, 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 I wonder what the people are thinking. Uh, they fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king, overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. I think I didn't mean to stop there for a second. I'm looking at overtook him in Jericho. That's where it all started. Yeah. And last time they were in Jericho, and you hear a story about Jericho. I mean, that is the kind of the amazing faith moment, right? They're marching around the city multiple times the walls we're going to fall. put a pin in that because right. you made an observation uh about the judgment and undoing that uh, i want to bring up in a okay. second after we sure, get to sure. all the the yeah. stuff um all his soldiers were separated from him and scattered and he was captured he was taken to the king of babylon at ribla where sentence was pronounced on him they killed the sons of zedekiah before his eyes then they put out his eyes 
bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. I mean, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? How does that... Uh, I mean, why, it seems over-the-top bad. <laughs> well, I, I, this is what ancient, ancient armies did. You know, they, they, they were over-the-top in cruelty and... Um, like the last thing he sees, right? Yeah. His kids being killed. Yeah, but this is, if, we remind, if we're reminded, this is what the Lord promised would happen. Back in Deuteronomy, this is what the Lord said, if you forsake me, if you run after other gods, this is going to happen, right? And, um, even back further, the, what's interesting, I think, when we look at this, um, because it seems bleak, right? But when we look at, uh, is it Exodus 34, right after the children of Israel had sinned with the golden calves, uh, golden calf, Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory because he wanted God to be with them even though the people had done this horrendous thing. And when, God, when he asked God to show him the glory, God, in, when he says, show me, my glory, show me your glory, he pronounces the things about his character, that he's gracious, compassionate, kind, long-suffering, and that he, though, even though he loves to forgive, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. They were guilty. There's no question here. This is not a surprise. And while it seems bleak now, we'll get hints later on that the very nature of God is still at play in this thing. You know what's good about that, Dean? It uh, reminds us that um, because all summer long, I've, uh, we've kind of, in and out of the story, we have said, this is, this is not good news. But it kind of is good news, oddly, because it lets us know God keeps his promise. He right. does what he's, I mean, we can count on him for right. the good stuff, right. because he, he said he was going to do this. By the way, he did it. Right. And, and the good thing is, because he came through on the bad stuff, we can count on the good stuff, too. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word. Mm. You're up. Verse 8. Yeah. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. So when I said last week that we weren't really completely done yet, this is what completely done looks like. Yeah. They just brought devastation. They, they wrecked the city. Except it's interesting, right? Like, uh, it's like the people that get the brunt of it are all the royalties, mm -hmm. uh, the people in big homes. So actually in the ESV, I think it says great houses that was destroyed. Mm. But it, the poorest people are left alone. Mm. I think that's kind of fascinating. Mm. All right, Dean, are, are you reading? Okay. Because sure. now we get into all of this, the detail. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to uh, they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick, 
uh, trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers and sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold or silver. Keep reading. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea, and the movable stands which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 18 cubits high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was three cubits high and was decorated with a network of pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its networks was similar. The commander of the guard took his prisoners, Seriah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisors. He also took uh, the secretary who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land. And 60 of the conscripts were, were, who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon in Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. All right, we, uh, we, when we were talking, William, um, we all made note of how ridiculous the detail is here. The bronze pillars, movable stands, the wicks and the dishes and all the bronze, and it lists all of those things. And uh, you had an interesting kind of query about that. Yeah, why is there so much detail? I mean, I get it on the way when God was, you know, giving them instruction on how to create all this stuff. Which, which that's where this detail appears. Back in Leviticus and Solomon's time, you right. get all of this detail. Yeah, and I, I, I think the, the thing that I came to, and I've heard this before, and maybe it's a rabbinic teaching or something like that, where they... Um, judgment is seen as in symmetry to how God also builds up. And um, that's kind of a fascinating thing. And actually, I didn't even notice until this morning the, the Jericho thing. And I'm like, oh my word, the symmetry goes all the way back to, to Jericho. So he's, all the stuff, all that detail, God is systematically dismantling it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm struck with the sentence that's the end of your reading there, Dean. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. I mean, that's just like a sentence. Right. And that's, that's almost like saying America became independent in 1776, and that's it. Right. You know, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that one sentence is... It's a uh, game changer. Uh, yeah, it's, it changes the course of history. I don't... I just don't understand why is it... We, so we see the judgment. We're not getting... I don't feel like we're getting the people's response. Uh, why isn't there more response from the people? I guess they're just mortified that this is all happening. But Well, actually, I was looking in, as I was reading yesterday for my devotion, you know, there's a piece to this. One of the things that I love about some of the comments that you made is that not all of the detail is here in this passage. We have other passages that really bring the detail back. And I, you know, I was reading just yesterday in my devotion. I want you to hear what... Chronicles says about the same time. But this is the Lord's response. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through the messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. Mm. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. That's cool. So we actually get the people's response. They're mocking God. And mocking God. 
Well, that's really scary because I feel like, <laughs> okay, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm going to go right into like how, what's going on and stuff today. Like it's scary to me to think about um, and how many places now it, people are openly mocking God. It used to be that people were, hey, you know, Christians were like, it's okay, you do your thing and I'll do mine. But now it's people, if that's your God, I don't want any part of it. I'm, I'm, I'm also struck with tying it back to the, the opening comment. Because hmm. if you think about um, God as creative and as uh, bringing order and blessing, well, when you get thrust out of his presence, right. then you're in disorder. You're in chaos. You're in disarray. And I, I think, uh, I mean, for me, the application point for that is our lives, our, our marriages, our whatever. Uh, if we step out of the Lord's presence or if he removes his presence from us, uh, we're, we're headed toward decay. We're headed toward chaos. Okay, y'all didn't give me the passage with all the names in it, didn't you? Oh, no, you got it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King I Babylon. I that just in case. And, and I think, to be real, we should have had some blooper clips of us reading all these names. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, to be over the people he had left behind in Judah. When all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had, had appointed Gedaliah as governor, uh, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. We are already off script now, so... Um, uh, Ishmael, son of Mathaniah, Johanan, son of Kareah, Sariah, son of Tanhumath, Tanhumath, yep. Uh, the Netaphathite, Jaazaniah, uh, the son of Maakathite, and their men. Gedaliah took an oath to reassure them and their men, do not be afraid of the Babylonian officials. He said, settle down in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. Again, I mean, uh, this is kind of the same message that Jeremiah ends up it giving is. them when Jeremiah they go to Babylon. Yep. So uh, it's interesting that it feels like this is God's message. You need to That's relax. Right. This is what I'm doing. This but, thing that looks terrible is what I'm doing. Settle down and don't, don't, try to, don't resist this. You've got to surrender to this. But I, actually, going back to your comment, the whole mocking God thing, I mean, if, if uh, Jer and we know Jeremiah brings this out, I think it's on Jeremiah 38, because uh, um, we, were, we were talking about it, and I, if Jeremiah was saying this, and that was a message from God, it's almost like anything God's saying, I'm going the other direction. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because in the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, who was of royal blood, came with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and also the men of Judah and the Babylonians who were uh, with him at Mizpah. Uh, this is <laughs> how, can a, you, how can you think that's a good idea? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a chaotically bad mistake. And as we noted when we were talking about this, he's of royal blood, so he may think he's owed this. He may, he may <clears throat> think this is my place. He's entitled. He's entitled, yeah. At this, all the people from the least to the greatest, together with the army officials, officers, uh, fled to Egypt for fear of the Babylonians. I bet they did. Um, so, the end. 
you know, just going back again, I don't understand. Um, I, I think it's a word you used, entitlement. I think the, um, the people to not respond to everything going on, I guess a couple things strike me. Um, it seems like in judgment, God's desire in judgment is always to bring about heart change. And oftentimes, you know, people say, well, if God allows evil in the world, right? Uh, if God allows evil in the world, then it, how can we see God? But if God brings justice, like we see here, um, then people are like, okay, as long as God's bringing justice, then I could serve a God like that. But then when we see justice, it, it, people aren't wooed to him in the middle of this judgment. Mm -hmm. like we don't see mass turning. turning happening all over the place. We don't even see people even calling out to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, we have to end with this bizarre little uh, paragraph. So I want you to notice as we end this reading, uh, to us it felt like this passage could have ended at the end of verse 21. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. Kind of like uh, smoke machine, drum roll. It also could have ended with the verse that we just read. But it adds this little bizarre little paragraph at the end that, that seems weird and out of place. Who's... I can, I can yeah, read. Okay. Um, verse 27. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year of Ebal Merodach, became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. Why Jehoiachin? <laughs> yeah, and this is obviously uh, years <coughs> later. This is, this is the, we've jumped forward in time. They're, they're in Babylon, I mean, they're in exile in Babylon now. So thoughts about why this paragraph at the end? I think it's a reminder of the very character of God that we mentioned before. He's willing to be compassionate, forgiving, right? He wants to be that. But when we get so out of sorts, that judgment is that reset button. I'm going to bump you off your course to get you back on the course. Because this Jehoiachin didn't do anything to deserve this. This was God. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. Did Jehoiachin do something? So here's what's interesting. Jehoiachin was evil, no doubt, right? Mm -hmm. We know that. But he surrendered. Right. That's the pattern, though. That's the difference between him and, and Zedekiah. Right. And if Jeremiah was saying, you guys need to surrender, mm. even with everything Jehoiachin did wrong, mm -hmm. he actually did that right. Right, but remember Manasseh. Manasseh was the wickedest king, right? But when he realized his place, he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. Yeah. God is not wanting to destroy us because he's just mean. He just wants us to step back from the foolishness. That's all. Mm. So, with our theme, he's, um, he's uh, as you said, Dean, he's elbowing us. He's, he's bumping us to get our attention. So we'll turn. So we'll look to him. He's constantly in uh, the business of doing that. Very good at doing that. <laughs> All right. So, um, Bill, what do you walk away with from uh, the last nine chapters of Second Kings? You've got a couple of minutes. Yeah, I won't talk too long. Um, I think the 
big arc for me is recognizing that people get stuck in their path. And uh, when God was... What do you mean get stuck in their path? He, um, so they're, they're, they're used to their, their day-to-day, right? Ishmael, he's got an entitlement to him, so he feels like he, uh, he can actually regain the throne somehow. Um, but it's always about following God. And what was weird in this time of judgment is the answer was not that God was going to restore the fate of the nation. At this point, the judgment had turned to them individually to follow him. Hmm. And I think the super arc for me is that it's always about following God. And people are probably thinking, well, wait, following God, we should always get our nation back or the judgment should end. No, God was, he had a plan even within the judgment of, of what the right road was. Yeah, I, I, when I look through this and I'm, I'm reminded of how horrific the wickedness of human beings can be, even in light of the truth, in light of God's grace, it's, when we see this, it's just horrendous what we have done. But I think the thing that is just the, 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 the foundation of all that is the relentless grace of God. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying I want to out-wicked myself or try to be as sinful as I possibly can. But I know that for those hearts who are willing to submit, God will eventually. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of Paul's argument in Romans. Right. He's gone. He's clearly uh, sorry, but I'm going nerd here for a second. But he's he's Paul. One of his mechanisms in Romans is he's he asks the question that he knows is on the reader's mind, and at one point he says, "What should we should we just sin so that grace might abound?" Because he's he's made the grace of God so big right. that people are saying, the listeners, are, uh, his, his uh, people who are taught by Paul are saying, I can't, that can't possibly, be, God can't possibly be that gracious. That, that means we could just do whatever we want. And, and that's how big he's made the grace of God because that's how big it is. It is, it is. Well, for me, it's, uh, I've, I've talked about it several times this summer. Uh, for me, um, the truth is that God is in charge of our lives. And we can willingly submit. A couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about uh, surrender rhythm in our lives. We can willingly submit, or uh, he will submit us. But one way or another, um, God is sovereign over uh, the nations and over our lives. And that's not just an abstract thought for me. I mean, that touches down... In, in my everyday life. That, that's how I think about and respond to the coronavirus. That's how I think about and respond to my children. That's how I think about and try to respond to all of my worries and concerns. God is in charge, and uh, he's, he's got me. Um, and uh, most of the time, I'm really, really glad he's got me. And some of those times when I get off base... I'm, I'm, I'm not glad he's got me, but then ultimately I am because he gets me back on track. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you um, so much for uh, your word, the richness of it, and um, we thank you for this reminder that we've had all summer long, Lord, that you're in charge and 
you mean business. And you are willing to knock the legs out from under our entire lives in order to secure us to you. Because ultimately, you are almost infinitely gracious and perfectly so. And we're thankful for this weird little reminder at the end of 2 Kings. Oh, by the way, you're still involved with your people, even in the worst circumstances. So we, uh, we received that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 